Let me know when people are kicking in. Just throw yourself into, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks a lot for dropping by. We have a lot to talk about, my friends. <laughs> a chillingly large amount of things to talk about. Sorry, it's been a little bit of a while since my last live stream, but uh, we are on it now. Good evening. Hello. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for dropping by. Let me know how the audio is. Just let me know. I've done some tweaks. Is the audio sounding all right? Is it? Is it? Is it? <laughs> let me know. And uh, we will get into it in just a sec. We're just going to be uh, waiting on people to come piling in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, the book, my friends, is so close to be ready to go. It's chilling. It's exalted. It's beautiful. I'm just, I'm Mr. Fussbudget about the cover. You know, it's kind of weird with books because I'm not entirely convinced that the cover really matters. But... It matters to me. You know, I know the Beatles had the white album. It's just like a white thing. And Spinal Tap had their black album. And, you know, how much more black can it actually get? But uh, I am fussing about the cover. So I am getting ready for it. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be ready very soon. Thank you all for your patience so much. Uh, I'm going to do, if you want to hold off on your super chats, I really appreciate those. But... Uh, just hold off on a little bit because I'm going to just talk a little bit about where things stand politically. So as you all know, this guy, Cesar, last name, has been nabbed. And I watched the press conference today that came out. And, you know, I, I get it. You know, being a law enforcement officer, it's a tough job. Like, I understand all of that. But I also have to tell you this. <laughs> Quite a lot of self-congratulations going on at the old FBI and other forms of law enforcement. Quite a lot of congratulations going on. They're like, wow, you see this kind of a miracle in movies and on television where we managed to nab the guy this quickly. It's astonishing. It's amazing. It's fantastic. And, you know, then you hear a little bit more about it. And this brain surgeon of a uh, mail bomber, he, uh, well, he left a fingerprint. <laughs> he left a, I think it was on an envelope. He left a fingerprint and DNA. And the guy has a little bit of a history when it comes to criminal activity. So this is a tweet from Jordan Shashtel. He says, mail bomb sender sees our last name Priors. This is his prior Interactions with the law, 1991, theft, 94, domestic violence, 03, bomb threat, 04, illegal ID, 04, controlled substance, 04, evidence tampering, 09, foreclosure. Well, it's not a prior. 09, operating without license, 13, 2013, theft, 2013, battery, 2014, theft, 2015, probation violation, and there are many traffic and drug arrests. So uh, as the old saying goes, America is like, can we just have one day without anything insane happening? And Florida says, no, sanity blocked has occurred. So that is pretty tragic, but that's what seems to go down when you have Florida uh, in, in and around your general vicinity. So this guy, well, he was, let's say, well-known to the police. I'm going to assume that they had his... 
fingerprints, obviously. I'm going to assume they had his DNA. Maybe they had his DNA for some of this kind of stuff, right? Probably. So it seems to me that the Hercule Poirot genius that is going on on the part of law enforcement goes something like this. Hey, we have a fingerprint. Can, can you put it, scan it into the fingerprint database? Oh, look, we have a match. This guy has prior history of making bomb threats and so on. Wow, just astonishing how quickly some of this stuff can work. And I, I want you to take you guys, I just want you to invite you into this particular worldview. Uh, let me know what you think. This kind of worldview goes something like this. So more than a year ago, there was this horrible shooting at the Country Music Festival in Las Vegas. Right, Paddock, remember? And no answers have been forthcoming for over a year. They said it was going to take about a year. The year has blown past. Nothing's really happened. So when, I, you know, I want to sound overly cynical, but I'm just kind of reading the facts here. Let me know what you guys think. I'm just kind of reading the facts here. But it's, uh, it's pretty rough because the Stephen Paddock stuff, well, the victims there were... Uh, Republicans, mostly, right, country and Western fans, white people and so on. So mostly you could say they were Republicans. Now, on the other side of the fence, and, and nothing really has been dug into, that the whole case remains a huge murky mystery. Nobody knows really what's going on or anything like that. That's what happens when a bunch of Republicans who are, you know, just average people, average citizens and so on. This is what happens when the Republicans get targeted. But by golly, my friends, what happens when it is the Democrat elites who get targeted? Boom! They are in there like a fat kid on a smarty, like white on rice, like Maxine Waters on inflammatory speech. They're all over it. And the case gets cracked wide open and solved, and everything is out on the table in about a day or two. Boy, (laughs) it seems to be just a little bit different when it comes to dealing with the average run-of-the-mill Republicans being victimized, well, shot down like dogs in a, in a pen, versus fake bombs being sent to Democrat operatives, Democrat power bronco. Well, it's just, it's a different thing when the Morlock versus the Eloy get targeted. So it just got a little sickening. Oh, we're, we're such investigative geniuses. We've solved this whole case. We've cracked it wide open. But uh turns out they have a fingerprint, they have the DNA. Boop, boop, boop. Hey, look at that. We have a match. We are pretty much a combination of, uh, <laughs> what is it, Harry Bosch, Hercule Poiret, and Sherlock Holmes all together because they can match a fingerprint to a database. It's just remarkable. Now, there are some questions I have, and I'm sure that there are good answers for it. I don't want to sound all conspiratorial here. I'm sure there were really good good answers to it. So with the De Niro package, well, the post office seems to have delivered mail without marking off the stamps. So that seems interesting. If this guy is genuinely crazy, and he seems to be, how did he get all of his, what is it, 12 or 13 mail packages to arrive on exactly the same day? That's not... Not particularly easy. The van is like coated in Trump paraphernalia, in anti-Hillary paraphernalia, in anti-mainstream media paraphernalia, and so on. And 
Uh, that's uh, interesting. I mean, all, all the windows are covered up. Isn't it in Florida? Isn't it, like in most places, it's illegal to put stickers on that cover up your window, your visibility, your blind spot, and all of that. So, And it's not vandalized, and then they don't seem to be that faded. And again, I'm sure there are all great explanations for this, but I would just like to hear, well, just a few more of <laughs> said explanations. Or maybe they consider the base sort of open and open and shut. And it is, of course kind of a boring thing to point out, but I'm going to point it out anyway. It's kind of a boring thing to point out that when a Trump supporter goes nuts and and commits these criminal actions, or is nuts and commits these criminal actions, then of course it is not craziness, it's not the individual, it's not the political climate that's responsible. It's just another day in Trump's America, don't you know? It's just another day in Trump's America, and that's what we have to deal with, and that's what we have to live with. If a Republican does something bad, of course, uh, you know, this guy, a registered Republican, like it's in the first line, it's at the top, they're calling him the MAGA bomber, like they're immediately associating these criminal actions with a larger political movement. If you get a Muslim, though, who commits an act of terrorism, well, he's just mentally ill. Got nothing to do with the ideology. If a leftist does something wrong, like the Bernie bro who shot up Scalise and others at the baseball diamond. Um, well, nothing to do with leftism, nothing to do with the Democrats, certainly nothing to do with Bernie Sanders. You know, it's, he's just a, a lone crazy. So this is one way in which they just attach the crazy to the particular ideology that they don't like while detaching the crazy from the particular ideology that they do like. It's just the way it happens, and they learn nothing. They learned, they've learned nothing from all of this. Maxine Waters, Larry Elder tweeted this, Maxine Waters, 623, 2018, said, If you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, department store, gasoline station, create a crowd. Tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. But you can't go out in public because you're going to be crowd cornered and threatened and, and intimidated and someone, right? So that's Maxine Waters a couple of months ago. Four months ago, I suppose. <sighs> On the 24th of October, 2018, Maxine Waters said, Trump should take responsible responsibility for the kind of violence we're seeing. Really? I, uh, I'm not entirely positive that he should. So there's a couple of other things that are interesting, and then we'll get to the big picture stuff. I'll put a link to this below when it goes live. There's a very interesting essay on Breitbart which goes through, and of course I won't go through all of them, but it is quite a few, let me tell you. Um, it is a list of media-approved violence and harassment against Trump supporters. And uh, if you guys feel like putting out a guess here, how many have they been able to track down? Acts of media-approved violence and harassment against Trump supporters. How many do you think they've been able to track down, my friends? Well... The answer is 613. And, uh, of course, I'm not going to go through them all, but the article starts, we're not calling Trump supporters Nazis as a means to dehumanize us. The establishment media like to whine about the lack of civility in American politics, even as they cover up, ignore, downplay, or straight up approve of the wave of violence and public harassment we are seeing against supporters of President Trump. 
It is open season on Trump supporters and the media is only fomenting, encouraging, excusing and hoping for more. The media are now openly calling Trump supporters Nazis and are blaming Trump for a mass murder he had nothing to do with. This, of course, is a form of harassment because it incites and justifies mob violence. And the list is below. They say, here's the list so far. And remember that if any one of these things happened to a Democrat, the media would use the story to blot out the sun for weeks. Remember how crazy the media went over a nobody rodeo clown who wore an Obama mask, a GOP staffer who criticized Obama's daughters, and yet... Hundreds of Trump supporters are harassed and brutalized, and the media only dutifully report them, if at all. That is because the media are desperate to normalize and justify violence and harassment against Trump and his supporters. And that is the reality of where things are in the media, and it is a chilling list. You can just scroll down and scroll down and scroll down and scroll down. It just goes on page after page after page of violence against Trump supporters. Now, to be fair, I think Donald Trump could do a heck of a lot better in terms of helping raise the profile of this kind of violence, helping to protect his supporters and so on. I don't know, maybe you could start prosecuting people who incite riots. Maybe you could start having more than just a little fly-by chit-chat with people, I don't know, washed-up 80s singers who say that they want to blow up the... Well, you know. (laughs) Come on. Now, Here's something else that is interesting. So the, according to media reports, and I've seen it go both ways, but I mean, who knows, right? I think it's more likely that he is a Republican. He registered as a Republican in 2016. Now, that's an odd thing. Again, I'm no lawyer, but aren't there some felonies involved in what he's done criminally for the past 27 years since 1991? Now, if there are a few felonies, and you can't vote, if I understand it correctly, in Florida, if you're a felon, so how on earth do you get to register as a Republican, and do you get to vote? Do the voter rolls need to be purged? Well, uh, I think that they do. (laughs) I think that they do. Now, here's something else that's interesting. I've heard ethnicity referred to as he's Filipino, is he Native American? There are some indications that he's Native American. And that is very interesting. Let's say that he's Native American or Filipino or something like that. So some of this stuff is coming from Broward County records, right? His criminal history. The bomb threat was in Miami-Dade County. So the Broward County is where this guy seemed to have pursued his criminal career, basically. Now, this brings to mind to me the school shooter Nicholas Cruz. Now... I did a whole presentation on this, but to very, very briefly, Obama, and I assume Eric Holder, put in this program designed to limit the, what they call the school-to-prison pipeline. So for, basically for blacks and Hispanics, the goal was to keep them out of prison, to keep them from getting sort of swallowed up into the prison industrial complex and then spat out as, you know, washed up criminals on the other side with no real future and so on. And so what they did was they gave warnings, they minimized, they tried to do interventions ahead of time, and they really resisted putting criminals in jail if those criminals were not white, were not, I guess, East Asian or criminality is pretty low, right? So that to me is really interesting. I wonder if, because it seems like I mean, clearly the three strikes and you're out can go a little bit nuts, but it has some value as well insofar as this is an old 
uh, Dennis Miller line about criminals. I think he's talking about the death penalty, but it's like, sorry, man, just didn't work out. You and society, you know, we tried, we went on some dates, we tried to make it work, but, you know, we gave it a good shot, man. I'm sorry, it just do- doesn't work out. And, you know, this guy has a rap sheet going on more than a quarter century. What is he doing out in the streets? What, what, especially bulking up? And he's, you know, this guy's pretty, I mean, not Tom Fitton, but, you know, he's, he's pretty ripped. And the answer could be, the answer could be that Broward County seems to have had an especial politically correct focus on keeping non-whites out of the prison system or out of the incarceration system or the criminal justice system. And I wonder, I just can't help but wonder, if that had something to do with this guy still walking the streets after 27 years of criminal activity and a wide variety, it's not like he did the same thing over and over again, a wide variety of criminal activities. So that, to me, is interesting. And it seems unlikely that any of the mainstream media is going to dig into that. I'm sure that some of the alternative media sources will. But I wonder if this guy was spat out onto the streets again to lower the incarceration statistics for political correctness, to keep the diversity uh, mantra alive and all of that. I just, I wonder if that happened. Now, these IED packages, the DOJ says that the suspect faces a possible 58 years in prison. And so then they weren't functionally defined explosives, right? Because if they were actual functional, each package would, I think, qualify him for a life term in prison. So this is bomb threats, not actual uh, bombs. So it's interesting stuff. I'm going to talk a little bit about the media as a whole. Who, I mean, they, they really can't seem to, to learn much. And this is a sort of dips into a discussion of evil in, in particular, right? So there's the evil, which is, you know, some guy just comes up and hits you on the bat and takes your wallet or whatever it is, right? There's a, a particular kind of evil that occurs in that context and in that situation. And that is actually not the dangerous evil that we face in the world, because you can take steps to avoid it. You can stay home. You can stay in good neighborhoods. You can travel in groups. You can not go to Sweden. Like, there's lots of things that you can do to keep yourself safe from, you know, what is called random criminal predation. But it's rarely random. It's usually some environment, some situation, some circumstance in which the possibility of predation is higher than it would be if you'd taken reasonable precautions. It's not to blame any of the victims, you understand, right? But, you know, if you want to keep yourself safe, then there's things that you can do. Now, the real danger, the real danger that we face, and it's a funny kind of, I associate it with a feminine quality, which may be right, may be wrong. I'm sort of be honest with you guys about how I sort of process it in my mind. So women get angry and yet they're small and relatively weak physically, right? So women get angry, and they want to hit a guy, right? Let's just say They get angry, they want to hit a guy. Now, before the cops showed up and just arrested the guy automatically and took her side and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, where she could have those kinds of threats of, you know, like I'll punch myself uh, a fight club style and then bingo, bango, bongo, you're going to go to prison for five years. Before that, how did women express their anger? when they were angry at some guy. Well, they can't go beat him up themselves because Tomb Raider is fictional. (laughs) So what do they do? What do they do? Well, uh, we all know what women do if they're angry and immature is what they do is they incite a guy to hit some other guy for them, right? 
you know, he came on to me, he was mean to me, he was rude to me, you better do something about it. They just goad up someone to go and enact the violence that they don't want to risk. That they don't want to risk. And that way, of course, you see, if there's a problem, so let's say you've got Bob and Doug, right? And the woman's angry at Doug and she convinces Bob to go hit Doug or yell at him or cause a problem or whatever. Well, if there's a fight, she's kind of out of it, right? You know, hey, I just told him I was upset. I just told him that the, he'd come on to me. He j- I just told him that he'd told me these insulting things. You know, you know, she's, she's off the hook. She's got this like remote controlled white knight drone of punchiness, which she can use to express her, her anger. And I see this happening in the media quite a bit. They're really, really angry at Trump, or they're angry on behalf of their listeners for Trump, and they know that's how they can get ratings and they get money, they get advertising. But they don't want to go out and risk actually doing violence themselves, right? That would be, um, well, that would be dangerous, right? And there would be real negative consequences. So continually hammering that Trump is like Hitler, that Trump is a fascist, that, you know, you've seen the memes, I'm sure, as, as well as I have, you know, that uh, if you continually hammer those memes, well, you don't actually have to go out and punch a Trump supporter. What you can do is just gin up this general hysteria wherein unstable people will act that out. And pulling that black genie of violence out of the bottle is something that sophists do all the time. And they do it through language, right? And I've talked about this before, that they will paint certain people with huge, hysterical, ugly, vicious, negative adjectives to the point where they just become, people just become so full of hatred and and so full of fear and so full of disgust that the odds are that someone's going to go out and and punch. So this idea, you know, punching Nazis is fine. And, uh, you know, hey, guess what? Now everyone who's to the right of Chairman Mao is a Nazi and therefore, right... Now, this guy, assuming that he's a Republican, and that's where the reports seem to be, this guy, it goes both ways. And this is kind of weird that people don't know this. I mean, this is very obvious. This is very clear. That once you start uncorking uncorking this black genie of violence, you start rubbing that lamp and getting him to billow out and do his genie fists all over the place, well, it goes both ways. So the more violence you incite against Trump supporters, the more you're going to get blowback. I mean, th- there's always two sides to every fight. There's always two sides to every instigation. If you escalate, other people will escalate. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the purpose. I don't know. This justifies nothing. The kind of blowback that comes from inciting violence against a particular group, that is inevitable. And why people don't see it, uh, why they pretend to be shocked. I, I, have, I have no idea why. I mean, I guess everyone has this fantasy, like you just go and you, you punch someone and that's it, you know? Like, hey, you, you win. You get to be the, the hero, the prince, the, the king and all that. But that's not the way that violence works in real life. The way that violence works in real life is you go and, and punch someone and then they go to their friends and they come and punch you back. And then you go get your friends and you go punch them. It just, it escalates. It Hatfield McCoy's. This stuff can go on for generations. Look at places like the Middle East. Look at places like Ireland. Look at places like, you name it, right? I mean, there's entrenched conflicts that just go on and on and on. They can last for centuries or millennia. 
the idea that you're just going to punch and beat someone and then they're going to just surrender and, and you're going to win and that's it. There's no blowback. There's like, it's not how life works. It's not how society works. It's not how human beings work. So this idea that you could just keep escalating and, and use this inflammatory record, uh, rhetoric to program the minds of crazy people to act out the violence that you are too cowardly or perhaps too, I don't know. You don't want to do it yourself. You don't want to face the consequences. You don't want to face the risk. So you'll just put out your negative words into the atmosphere, hoping they're going to attach themselves like vampire bats to the brains and program crazy people to act out the violence that you want. And it's tragic because it just, it escalates. And for more on this, I do want you to, to remember this, and, and you can go and pick up this book uh, at the moment. But there's a book out called uh, Hoaxed, and you can find it at hoaxedmovie.com. And Hoaxed is really good. Uh, I, I'm in it, and, and uh, lots of other great people are in it, of course. You can get the book, which is uh, the, the interviews, but the movie is going to come out next month, and you'll be able to get a hold of it. And, and it goes into a lot of details for all of this kind of stuff and it is well worth uh, having a look at this it is uh, very very powerful stuff and it goes into how this is going to escalate and how this is going to go and there really doesn't seem to be like the way that you'd want to do it the way that you'd want to do it if you were responsible and you were in the media I know I contradict myself is you'd want to sort of look back over your like you'd look in the mirror and say what have we done to kind of escalate this kind of stuff what have we done to try and make this stuff look uh like some sort of sensible reaction. What have we done to fan the flames of this kind of violence, this kind of conflict? That's what you'd do if you were responsible, but uh, we all know how responsible they are, or in this case, often are not. And so they're not likely to do that. And that is really tragic. And that is a real shame. And I don't know how bad it's going to have to get before people start pulling back from this kind of rhetoric. Because I'll tell you, I mean, I don't go into this stuff a lot, but I'll tell you straight up, my friends. You know, I've certainly suffered from this. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know, and you, you may not know the entire history. Like, I've been called, uh, you know, far right, extreme right, Nazi, cult leader, like just a misogynist, like, you know, every horrible thing that you could imagine. And it has an effect, you know, it has consequences. And... I mean, just looking at the uh, tour that Lauren Southern and I got engaged in down in Australia and New Zealand, well, we couldn't do a speech in New Zealand because, largely because of the hysterical rhetoric that had been whipped up by certain individuals and certain outlets down there to the point where somebody on social media claimed that they sent in a bomb threat to the venue that we were going to speak at, and that makes it kind of tough to have a speech. You know, when we were in uh, Australia, in certain locations, there were physical attacks upon the buses, upon the listeners, a huge amount of violence that had to be carved through just to be able to get a speech. Uh, you you know, of course, about Mike Srinovich and the deplorable, where people conspired to put, I think it was butyric acid into the vents, you know, got pregnant women there, there could have been stampedes, tramples, and, and miscarriages, and who knows what, right? And a night for freedom uh, in New York, a, a guy got... Uh, a, physically attacked in, in horrible ways. And, you know, there were people chanting, uh, uh, you want a red pill, how about a lead pill? Which, you know, indicates that you, you just want to shoot people. And to go further back, 
I was at a men's rights conference in Detroit some some years ago. It's quite a, quite a bit of time ago now. And not only were there people there that had to be taken out by security because they were quite interested in, in me as a human being, but also um, there were uh, bomb threats that were phoned in, uh, more than one if I remember rightly. And there was a woman who was speaking there who was a used to be a senator in, in Canada, and but that's that's I'm, whatever happened. Did the did the media did the media say, my goodness, how terrible that these people have to get up on a stage and speak in the face of multiple bomb threats? That's horrible. That is absolutely wrong. That should never happen, no matter what you think of people's ideas and arguments. It is never acceptable to do that. Did they call on the police? to expend every available resource to find out who was behind these threats of uh, bombings. Uh, were there mass arrests uh, in, in uh, Australia and New Zealand? Were, were people like, well, we have to do whatever we can to find a way to stop this from happening over and over again? No. No. The media report negatively on people who are the victims of politically motivated violence. If you're not on the left, or if you criticize the left, I mean, I'm not on the right, not on the left, the whole point of philosophy is kind of transcend these labels and think for yourself and so on, but if you are the victim of this kind of violence, which is not just a threat, it is actually enacted. If you are a victim of this kind of violence, if it limits what you can do out there in the world, you know, I'm in the airport in New Zealand and I'm all over the papers with the most horrendous language, of course, right? And I'm just sitting there, I'm having a salad and getting ready for the flight. I look around, look at all these newspapers. And I'm like, I better put my baseball cap on here because who knows? See, this is the funny, I mean, this is the terrifying thing about what happens in the world these days is that now that people are, I mean, you see this happen to Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens and other people, you're out in a public place and one person, one person sees you, recognizes you, notices you, and they can just tell everyone in there, grimy little circle of hatred. They can just tell people and, and those people can then assemble in a matter of minutes. And it's a dangerous situation. It's a dangerous situation. And what do you do? What are you supposed to do? The law doesn't seem to have much interest unless you're mailing dud bombs to top-level Democrats and big fans of the Democrats like Bobby De Niro, well, then you get, uh, whew, man, you're hammered. They'll get you in a day. But if you're not one of these, if you're not part of this protected class, what do you do? The police do nothing, really, to protect you. Well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, Mike Cernovich has been working the system and it takes years sometimes, but he knows what he's doing. He's a lawyer and so on. So he 
has been able able to get some people charged and so on. But it's a complicated, difficult and slow process to get any kind of real protection. If you're out there, there are these feral, vicious hyena mobs that are very dangerous. Things can escalate very quickly. Violence is... It has extraordinarily unexpected consequences. You know, you see in these movies, like some guy just takes a punch and he goes down and so on. There are a couple of things that sort of come to mind. Once I knew someone who was on a jury. And what happened was there was a bar fight and the guy tripped after he was hit. He hit his head on the corner of the bar and boom, right? Well, things, things have changed quite a bit from simple assault if that kind of stuff happens. Uh, I remember Marlon Brando, the late Marlon Brando, the actor, hit a photographer once and knocked out some of his teeth and, and I don't know, did terrible things to his jaw and so on. And this guy, this photographer, had to go back to the dentist for years. And he said, you know, they never got it quite right. And there was always these problems, these aches, these pains, these issues, this massive expense. And I mean, that's just one, one blow, one punch. It is, um, it is scary out there for people who are critical of the left, for people who aren't. I mean, you, you can go, um, you know, like Cassie J, she's in Hoaxed. And you should check out her, her movie, The Red Pill. It's very, very good. But uh, when she was on, when she was doing, she wasn't really on the left, but when she was doing stuff that was more friendly to the left, like she could just go out and have these wonderful dinners and, and do these screenings. And, and, you know, there were people who disagreed with what she was doing, but she got to do it. And then when she came out with the movie, The Red Pill, whole different ballgame, my friends, a whole different planet. Violence, threats, intimidation, the media turning on you, and, you know, it hardens you. I'll be straight up with you guys. It hardens you. When they first, I mean, they first came after me 10 or 11 years ago, hard, hard, vastly out of proportion to what it is that I was doing, and vastly out of proportion to the size of my show at the time. I had very little right of reply back then. I mean, practical. And it hardens you because you really do get a sense not just of how many nasty people there are out there, but also how few people will stand up and staunchly defend you because everyone's like, whoa, let's back away from this guy. He's got the lasers on him. He's toxic. He's, ah, we got to run away. We got to ignore what's happening. We got to step back. We got to, you know, you really find out who your friends are when you're under siege in this kind of way. And it does. I mean, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? You end up as a tougher a more resourceful and wiser person. But it's, you know, when, when you're going through it the first time, you're kind of thirsty for allies, and sometimes they can be a little bit scant on the ground. <laughs> it's one thing I, I mean, I have my issues with the military. One thing I do like about the military is this leave no guy behind, and, and your, your squad mate is, is your buddy, and, and you do everything for him and so on. And that's powerful stuff. But... It is uh, it's hard out there to just just go do a tour, just go do a speech, just go and chat with people about philosophy. You know, there's outright censorship. Well, there's a couple of layers of censorship, right? There is the outright censorship of the government bans you, right? So now, I mean, I think in Europe, the, the, I think it's the European 
court is now ruling that uh, criticism of, of Islam is, is basically not allowed. Huh. Strange that, really. Seems kind of Islamophobic, but there's that outright censorship, right? And, and then there's a censorship where you get deplatformed, right? The censorship like what happened to Alex Jones, what, what's happened to other people, and so on. There's that kind of censorship. And then there's a censorship where it's just difficult and expensive to put on things, right? So, I mean, the security that you need if you're not on the left or if you're conservative or whatever, or if you're critical of leftist tropes, the amount of security that you need really adds to the prices that you have to charge. I mean, I had to be with security. My family had to be with security everywhere, everywhere. We went. You go to the bathroom. You go uh, on Puffing Billy, the little train full of Chinese people that wends its way through the Australian countryside, which is beautiful. But you got to have security with you. You can't just travel. You can't just go places. You can't just chat with people. You need security all the time because it can happen like that. And where has the media been in talking about all of that? Where has the media been in pushing back against all of that? Well, they don't like me, and they don't like other people. And so it's maybe reported on, but it's not really condemned. And they certainly don't move heaven and earth to attempt to bring light and visibility and resources and opposition to all of this stuff. You know, when... There are rioters, rioters attacking non-leftist speakers and audiences. Well, they're, they're protesters. They're protesting, you see. Whereas if there's any violence going the other way, well, it's just straight-up fascism, right? I mean, it's the way everything is slanted, the way everything is conditioned. And most people are busy, you understand. You know that, right? You guys are busy. I'm busy. Most people are busy. You hear something relentlessly negative about someone, you're like, I don't know. Sounds bad. <laughs> I mean, sounds bad. I, I'm not sure I'd want that person around in my life. I, you know, if something bad happens to that guy, it's like, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't have been such a terrible person. Like, I, I get that. Everyone's busy. And the idea that you can go and try and find out the facts and try and find out the truth. And, you know, it's they're relying on that, right? That you just relentlessly negatively portray people. And this is the other thing, too. Like, people don't talk about this with the mainstream media. We're the competition, you understand? Like, we are direct competition. Eyeballs on me is eyeballs not on CNN. Eyeballs on other people, eyeballs on the intellectual dark, dark web, and not eyeballs on other people. Eyeballs on Dave Rubin, on Brett Weinstein, on Jordan Peterson, on Stephen Crowder, on Joe Rogan. These are all eyeballs not on the mainstream media. So if Coke writes about Pepsi... You understand that there's not a lot of objectivity there. You're buying a Pepsi, probably not buying a Coke at the same time. But the media claims to be able to report objectively on the alternative media. And how many people point out this fundamental conflict of interest? Well, I would say not enough. <laughs> not enough because it is important to recognize that there is a direct competitive element here. A direct competitive element here particularly because most of the alternative media is not shilling for the left. I mean, there's certainly some of it, right? But 
they're not shilling for the left. And that means that we don't have the kind of conflict of interest when it comes to just telling the basic truth, right? So I don't know if you've seen this. What was it I was saying the other day in Truth About the Honduran Caravan? NBC News, I mean NBC, <laughs> NBC News. So NBC News sat on information about Avenatti and the woman who accused, it was the second accuser, uh, who accused Kavanaugh of this drugging and, and, and involving in, in gang, gang raping and so on, right? And they sat on this, this information. There was a, I won't get into the details. You could look it up. They, were, they had information discrediting Avenatti and this woman, Swetnick, for three weeks before they released it. They had it before the hearings. What were they, on the 6th of October? They had this before the hearings, and they sat on this information for three weeks. That's horrible. Horrible, horrifying, viciously irresponsible. And most of the alternative media just don't have those same incentives. We are curious, we're restless, we're relentless. And I don't like this idea, oh, everyone has a bias, and you know the, the, the conservatives are just honest about their bias. That is a terrible position to hold. That is a surrendering the high ground position to hold. Everyone has a bias. Everyone's bigoted. We're just honest about our bigotry. Hey, guess what? That's not true, and it's not going to work. And it's not going to work. If you've got conflicts between one group that says, yes, I'm biased, another group that says, I am objective, the average person is going to side with the objective person. So this idea that, well, everyone's biased, everyone has a perspective, we're just honest about ours. No, 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 no. You can't win that way. (laughs) Well, and if it's true, if it's true, then you should be working like hell to eliminate your bias. You should be working like hell to eliminate your bias. I mean, in the things, the big things that I've taken stands on, I'm aware, of course, like everyone, that I have a preference for being right as opposed to being left. No, no, I'm kidding. I have a preference for being right as opposed to being wrong. And what that means is I have to keep a special eye out for information that contradicts what it is that I'm saying to make sure that I continue to track with what is true and what is factual and what is right. And I have been right about an enormous <laughs> number of things because I follow that general principle. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean, yeah, do I have biases? doesn't matter. doesn't matter. The whole point is how well do you do your job when it comes to preventing, presenting, <laughs> preventing, sorry, I flipped into <laughs> mainstream media, preventing information, for, presenting information, arguments, and evidence to the public as a whole. How, how good are you, how relentless are you at the pursuit of truth, and how good are you at making that case to the public? It's really, it's really important. It's really, really important. I mean, I love you guys. I love the listeners and the watchers to all of this because you come here for the facts, for the truth, for the predictions that make sense. I'm not partisan regarding this stuff. This guy seems like a Republican. I think they've come up with pictures of him holding up anti-CNN signs in in rallies from, from back in the day. So... He was not turned crazy by Trump because this guy's been in and out of the criminal justice system since the early 90s. So unless he figured out back then that Trump might run for president. 
Because if we start down this road, oh boy, you know, that wall breaks, the levee breaks, and the flood of political violence starts to infest society, we're done. Like, we're done. We either talk with each other or we all die. I mean, or we end up being sucked under into such general social dysfunction that it makes Venezuela look like early America. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. We really, really have to work on talking with each other. And I have to remember that as well. I don't mind condemning as evil the people who are doing evil. And I don't mind calling out the people who are inciting evil as um, really the enablers of it. I mean, it's, to me, I don't know, it's like a moral question. So I'm just sort of working it out in real time. But this image just sort of struck me. Like, let's say there's some guy who's who's stuck on bed rest and he wants alcohol and he's an alcoholic and he, he just keeps nagging his wife to go and get him alcohol. He can't get it delivered, let's say, for whatever reason. And he, he can't go and get it himself. Well, if he can only get alcohol because she goes out and gets him alcohol, then who's keeping him as an alcoholic? Well, she is, right? He'd have a chance to dry out. He'd go through the DTs. He'd have a chance to dry out if she wasn't doing all this stuff. But she is. She is doing all this stuff. And so what that means to me is that if you are necessary for the increase in violence, in other words, if the violence follows the rhetoric, and in this case, I mean, we'll find out We may find out. Maybe the guy's just plain nuts. But we may find out over time. But I doubt it will be reported. We may find out over time that this guy, well, he said, you know, well, I was looking at all these Democrats saying, like Hillary Clinton, we can't be civil with people who want to destroy our way of life. And, you know, you can harass people. You can attack people. You can drive people out of restaurants. You can, you know, and he might say, like I saw... The, the powder that was sent to Don Trump Jr.'s home and his wife, you know, spends two weeks uh, wondering if she's going to live or she's going to die. And I see the media, when Steve Scalise gets shot, the media saying, yeah, that's terrible, but, you know, he was kind of a racist, right? <laughs> I see Madonna getting away with stuff, threatening to blow up things or wanting to blow up things. I see threats being dropped. I see... You know, there's escalation occurring in the media, either covering it up or subtly encouraging it or excusing it or. Pro tip, Antifa are not protesters. So this guy might have said, man, you know, I figure civil wars upon us. I kind of start acting. Doesn't justify anything. And if that was his perspective then the media whipping up aggression against the conservatives is part of the cycle of violence. And it's a cowardly cycle of violence because you get to sit there, you see. You get to sit there in your air-conditioned office with your blow-dried hair and your makeup and your veneered teeth and you get to smile like a shark while other people do the chewing. That's the thing that bothers me, perhaps the most of all. That's the thing, like... This woman, Swetnick, could face some serious repercussions for what she did. Avenatti's like, well, this woman's kind of unstable, but, you know, hey, I'm going to use her. It's my guess about how what the thinking was. I'm going to use her to go after Kavanaugh. Now, the fallout for her could be substantial. And again, she's wrong. She's, I think she, she lied, and, and uh, I think that uh, it's not 
factual, and I think there's lots of evidence that contradicts it. But an unstable woman, it's like, yeah, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, NBC is going to talk to you. You're going to give these interviews. You're going to sign these affidavits. And then boom, right? Try and take down Kavanaugh. I have an ad. He's a smart guy. He's a lawyer. He's a tough guy. He'll probably find some way to skate, <laughs> skate out of this terrible week that he's had. But what's going to happen to Swetnick? What's going to happen? How's her life going to go? How's she going to pay all these bills? If she starts to face some legal repercussions. We shall see. But that's the thing that bothers me. That these guys uh, with these calm voices and their eye contact and their little blinking. Just putting out the radio waves to be picked up by the crazy people to enact the violence. And then the big question is, I'll get to the super chats in a sec. I appreciate you guys patience as I sort of work through this kind of stuff but it's really been on my mind over the last day or two but how it plays out from here the big question is why are people so scared why are they so angry at Trump now I put forward some theories about this but I wanted to sort of add something here and then you guys can let me know what you think but I feel a lot of fear in the land in the West, Europe, of course, uh, England, Scotland, France, Wales, Canada, America. I feel that there's a huge amount of fear. That's not an argument. I'm just sort of telling you what, what I think. And the question is, what are people so scared of to the point where they're willing to use violence against political opponents? What is so terrifying for them? I think that the fear crumbs from an annihilation panic to do with foundational incompetence. Foundational incompetence. And what I mean by that is if you have become so used to receiving government money, receiving government benefits, receiving government paychecks, it could be government workers, receiving big benefits, or if, or and or if you've been so used to receiving government resources in the form of healthcare, like maybe you're diabetic, maybe you're overweight, maybe you've got some chronic health conditions, maybe you need painkillers for the rest of your life or think that you do, then you have become very dependent and very vulnerable. And to me, violence and incompetence go very much hand in hand. Violence and incompetence go very much hand in hand. If you lack personality, intelligence, skill sets, abilities, desire, drive, experience, resume, you name it, to compete successfully in a free economy, in a free environment, and you have become so dependent on this golden bloody shovel, coercive redistribution of wealth, What happens if that's threatened? And it is threatened. It is threatened because you don't have to be a brain surgeon. You don't have to be smart. You don't even have to be of average intelligence these days to really, really understand and get that all the Western governments are totally out of money. I mean, there's some that's more like Illinois and so on and and, uh, Ontario where, where I live and CalPERS and so on. But... There's no money. I mean, there's this really stretched, thin rubber band of money illusion. But there's no money left. There's no money in the kitty. 
unfunded liabilities, 180 trillion just in the United States, all over the place. So countries are taking on these huge liabilities with mass migration, immigration, and invasion, and they just don't have enough money to pay their bills. And there's no possibility of taxing people to make the money to pay the bills because taxing people will simply lower your tax receipts in the long run because people will simply avoid. It's like that 95% taxation that occurred in the 60s all the way up to the 80s, I think, in England, where the Beatles had that famous song, Tax Man, and they tried to get as much as 95% taxation above a certain amount, which was not that high. And you got bands all over the place, like U2, the Beatles at the time, Queen, just trying to reorganize their finances so they don't have to pay this crazy taxation. So you can't pay it. You can't pay. But people have structured their lives their health choices, their romantic choices, their parenting choices, their work choices, their study choices, you name it. They have structured their entire lives around the flow of the drug of fiat money that can't possibly continue. Can't possibly continue. So people think that they're anxious about Trump. They're not anxious about Trump. They don't think that Trump is Hitler. They think that reality is fascist because they've lived in this world where desire equals resources. This is very, very important. Desire equals resources. Again, I think that's a slightly more feminine world for reasons I've talked about before. Desire equals resources. If you want something and you complain about it and you nag, you'll get it. You'll get it. It's that transition that women have, right, from hot to not hitting the wall, right? So before... Women hit the wall, they get resources by being attractive. And after they hit the wall, they get resources by being difficult and nagging in general, right? If they're not happily married and, and getting great resources or producing their own resources for that matter. So people are terrified. Think of being a single mom. You've got three kids by three different dads. You're negative, kind of mouthy, got tattoos, you're obese. What happens when the government runs out of money? Now, they don't want to look at the structure. They don't want to look at the system. So they personalize it as far as Trump. Like if, I, if we get rid of Trump, then the money can go on forever. The reality that is coming due, the, the bill that is coming due, the butcher's bill of fiat currency and delusion and dependence and coercion. People know it's coming. They know winter is coming is a reason why. That show is so popular. Winter is coming. You'd had a, what is it, a 12-year summer, and then you get a 12-year winter. We've had this crazy long summer where winter has been postponed by debt and money printing and money laundering and bonds and you name it, right? And, yeah, winter is coming, everybody knows. Everyone's anxious about this kind of stuff. Now, with Hillary... They knew that she wasn't going to turn off the taps of fiat currency, that she wasn't going to privatize, and that she was also going to import enough people to vote for the left so that they could continue in the minds of people. Not that they think it's going to continue. They don't care about the continuance of the money. They care about the delaying of the anxiety, the pushing off the anxiety, right? So with Trump coming in, it's like you got a tough bill collector around, right? And, and it's harsh for people. And there's no easy way out of it. There's no pain-free way out of it, which is exactly why it should never have been done in the first place. Thou shalt not steal. But people are very anxious and they're terrified. You've got some plum government job that pays you 40% more with benefits or 50% more than you could ever receive in the private sector. 
well, you've gotten lazy, you've gotten soft, you've gotten dependent, you've gotten entitled. And when people get dependent, there is great comfort in the moment, but it sows the seeds of anxiety and rage. Anxiety and rage. And it's terrible when those things erupt to the surface. Because you can't be honest. You can't say, well, yeah, I had a pretty good run on made-up imaginary money. But, you know, can't last forever. I guess I'll just go get a job. Or I guess I'll just go find some great guy to marry me and take care of my three kids from three different dads. <laughs> right? I mean, it's really tough. It's really harsh. And I think that this panic has been going on. This anxiety has been going on. And it's people get violent when their gravy train starts coming to a stop, right? I mean, if a farmer is dependent upon the product of his field to make it through the winter and you start setting fire to his fields, he's going to get pretty mad. And it's a lot easier for people to get angry at somebody who's talking about freedom, who's talking about smaller government, who's talking about a market. It's a lot easier to get angry at that person than to get angry at yourself. To look in the mirror and say, I did a dumb thing. I did a dumb thing. I got myself dependent. I got my kids dependent on a system that I know cannot last. And everybody knows it can't last. Everybody knows about the debt. Everybody knows. I'm not just saying, oh, in my circle, the people who are politically, everybody knows. Everybody has heard. Everybody knows. Certainly, if you're online enough to, to read all the Trump is Hitler stuff, you're online enough to know it can't last. It can't last. And the anxiety that people have about having become foundationally dependent on that which cannot last, you really can't overestimate just what kind of volatility that has. And uh, it's rough, man. I've known people, their welfare check gets interrupted. Like when I was a kid, their welfare check got interrupted. They freaked the frack out. They literally freaked out. They screaming at people and because there's this fundamental panic. Because you don't feel competent to gain resources in reality anymore. You have molded yourself to the carved channel of coercion. And you've lost your negotiating skills and you've lost your independent skills and you've lost your confidence skills. And violence arises out of a desire for the unearned, but it's out of something you desperately want, but you don't feel you can get. The foundation of violence is insecurity. Because if you're secure and you're loved and you have a community, you don't fear losing your job. You don't fear these things if you've got some savings, if you've got people who love you and people who care for you and you've been generous in your church or your community or wherever. You don't fear these things because you've got a cushion, you've got a social. But if you're just like a nasty person that nobody really likes and people don't really care about and and then then... Economic reality, math, is kind of like this crowd pushing you up to a cliff edge 
I mean, if you imagine, you know, some crowd there, you know, the cliff edge, and they're slowly edging you towards the cliff edge. I mean, you'll grab people, you'll burrow through them, you'll bite them, you'll kick, you'll do anything to avoid going over that cliff edge. And that's where people are. Half of America, I don't know what the proportion is in the rest of the West, but it's probably pretty damn similar. And it's probably higher if you count all the people sucking at the bloated teats of government money through, through state employment. Half the people, at least, are dependent on the state. That has created such a foundational and corrosive insecurity that asking these people to go out and function in the real world... I mean, most of them could. Don't get me wrong. If, if, if push came to shove, most of them could. Most of them could. Men got drafted and went off to fight wars. They didn't want to. They didn't... Some of them, well, a lot of them didn't even expect, and rightly so, to come back home. But they found a way to do it. Give a man a why, he can bear almost any how. So most people would, you know, they would face those fears. They'd freak out. They'd have their anxiety attacks. They'd have their panic attacks. And then they'd just be like, okay, I guess we're done. We're going to go out and get things done. Got to go out and do things. But they don't feel that. They don't believe that at the time. They don't believe that they can go out and function in the real world. And because of that, because of that, well, they'll just kick and scream at anyone who tries to drag them into reality. And they think that it's personal. Like anyone who says, we should get rid of the welfare state, it's like, you hate me. It's like, no, I, I actually care for you. I care for you. I care for you because what's going to happen to you when the money runs out? It's not personal. It's not like, oh, I don't like you and I don't want you to have free stuff and I don't want you to get health care and I don't want you to... It's going to run out. So what's the plan? You're either going to do it in a prepared way or you're just going to wake up and your check is worth nothing or half what it was worth. And that's slowly happening anyway, particularly with groceries and housing and so on. You're just going to wake up one day, you're going to go and either that check is not going to come, you're not going to cash it, or it's not going to be worth that much. Now that's not the time you want to start trying to fix all these problems because <laughs> you've got no give then. You've got no, you want a soft landing. Or wheels down landing, not wheels up. I think that's where people are. So, thanks everyone for your patience. Uh, I appreciate that. Always great to chat with you guys. I will, if you like, take a few super chats now, should you be so inclined. We Oh, we've had some. I appreciate that so much. But yeah, throw in your super chats and I will put it through my brain gears. So, uh, Alan, thank you very much for your super chat. 40 minutes ago? No, 50. 50 minutes ago, thank you. Joshua Paulson says, at least there was an arrest in the whole, in the white powder mailings of Trump family members, not that there was much coverage of it. Yes. So, yeah, there is an arrest, and that's partly because the Trump family knows how to work the legal system, and, and that all makes perfect sense. But um, it's the... Like, imagine imagine this. Imagine if the violence against non-leftists who are out speaking or, or just out walking about. Imagine if that violence got half the publicity that the, I believe, false allegations against Brett Kavanaugh got. Imagine. Imagine if it was just wall-to-wall, this is horrible, we're going to motivate people to uh, find these people, we're going to amass a citizen army of journalists, a.k.a. 4chan. Hi, guys. <laughs> And, and we're going to make sure that this doesn't happen again. We're going to really work hard. We're going to, you know, imagine. 
Imagine if the actual violence against non-leftists got one half the coverage of the allegations against Judge Kavanaugh. Wouldn't, wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. Because then it would be costly to make these allegations. And right now it's costly to receive them. So yes, certainly had uh, stuff had to, to do with, uh, with Trump. Matthew Littlejohn says, are you talking about Joe Rogan? Um, <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I mentioned him, but I don't think so. Uh, Freckleland says, we should celebrate political discourse turning into hell. Discourse always grows the state. Let the factions go their own way. Peace for everyone. Now, that's interesting. Now, I've heard about this kind of stuff. Oh, we should just, California should separate and, and you know, the country should just be divided. I get all of that. And, and I mean, because I know the IQ stuff, I mean, I'll tell you what will happen. When societies self-segregate, what happens is the high IQ people want to go to one place and the low IQ people want to follow them, right? That's just the way it works. And you can really look at demographics as a whole this way. And once you get this, you can understand basically how society works and certainly how human movement works, right? So wherever the high IQ people congregate, and I'm talking mostly the free market people, not the military industrial complex people and so on, but the free market people, wherever the smart people gather, everybody wants to go there. Why? Because it's nice. Because <laughs> they've got good infrastructure. Because they don't steal much. Because there are decent schools. Because the schools have very high graduation rates. And because, because, because. And people want to go where the smart people are. Of course they do, right? And then what happens is they go to where the smart people are and they find out that no matter where you go, you bring your IQ with you, right? So you go to where, where the smart people are. Want to go to where the smart people are. Those countries are great. Those towns, those neighborhoods, they're great. And then you go there and there's this odd, weird barrier between you and the smart people, Right? You can't have what they have. And I don't just mean the material stuff. You can't have the more stable marriages. You can't have the generally better health. You can't have the better relationships as a whole. You can't have the respect. You can't have the social circle. You can't have it. You can't have it. You're like the ugly guy who wants to go out with models. You know, those people, they get a lot of attention, <laughs> a lot of positive attention, those models, right? And you want to go out with the models. But what happens? Well, let's say you do attach yourself to a bunch of models and you go out, you're not going to get the attention and you're going to get mad. Same thing with the smart people. Go to where the smart people are. You can't hold up a conversation with them. They're polite, but they're not that interested in you. And you can't break into their social circles. And you can't have their houses. And you can't have their cars. And you can't have their jobs. And you can't have their beautiful wives. And you can't, you can't have it. Now, a nice person, a reasonable person, a decent person, an honest person comes along and says, what? Well, you're not that smart. Sorry. Like, I'm, so I'm genuinely sorry. It's just you're not that smart. It's not your fault. It's not their fault. It's no one's to blame. It's like height. Some people are tall. Some people are short. Some people blue eyes. Some people don't, right? Whatever. People are different. Nature rolls the dice and you get what you get. So you may want what they have, 
but you can't handle what they have. Because let's say that there's some rich person who's out there and they're head of some company and it's challenging. I mean, you've got suppliers, you've got payroll, you've got um, rent, taxes, regulations, licenses, permit. It's, a, it's complicated. And if the CEO of a big company, you might have 20 lawsuits going on at any given time, a lot of which involve you or your feedback or whatever, right? And so what happens is people say, well, I really want the house that the CEO has. I really want the wife. You may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile, right? You may want these things, but then you'll find that if you were, if you try to do the things to get you those things, you can't. Someone's going to come in and say, uh, well, you had another five lawsuits filed against you today and you're going to freak out. Or someone's going to say, yeah, you got to work 80 hours a week and you got to travel 25 days a month. And you'll be like, I don't want to do that. Or they're going to say, you got to process all this complex information and give me just the right answer in a highly competitive environment. I can't. I can't. You know, like picture me at the ripe old age of 52 being thrown into an NBA game. <laughs> you know, like, hey, those guys get paid a lot. If I put on some kicks and squeak around on the floor and throw the ball around, I'm going to get millions of dollars too. And then you go out there and you just get knocked over and ball goes into the side of your head and you hurt your knee. I can't have it. Can't have it. Can't have it. Or like I saw some... Oh, who was it? Harry Connick Jr. Was it... Uh, Jenny Jennifer Lopez? Some guy came out and he wanted to sing for them and I think it was Harry Connick Jr. says, voice is just not strong enough, man. And, you know, Harry Connick Jr. He's got a nice voice, but it's not like... Freddie Mercury or anything, but just don't have the voice. You know, voice is not strong enough. Sorry. Song, song's nice. Guitar playing's good. Voice just not strong enough. Sorry. These are honest facts. So the low IQ people go to the high IQ neighborhoods. They want to be there, but they can't have those things. They can't get those things. And a sensible person comes along and says, just not that smart. It's not your thing, man. Other things you can be great. It doesn't mean you're not as happy. Happiness doesn't correlate much with high or low IQ. Happiness is what matters the most, right? So, but you'll be miserable if you think you should have it. Right? You'll be miserable if you think you should have it. When you shouldn't. By fairness, by right, by the market. So, an honest person comes along and says, like, I'm sorry, you're just not that smart. Now, the problem is, though, the problem is that if the leftist comes along and says, you are just as good at they, as they are, they just are bigoted and biased and hate you and exploit you. And then what happens is you fill people with this giant, horrendous, bullfrog, expanding throat, venom, poison of hatred. Of hatred. That's harsh. That's cruel for everyone involved because it tortures people. It tortures people by saying that they should, by rights, have what they just, by the market, can't have and shouldn't have. You want the factory to accumulate to the person who has the best chance of success with that factory because thousands of jobs, thousands of lives, 
thousands of children, thousands of families all depend upon that factory functioning well, being competitive, making the right decisions between savings and spending, knowing how to develop the right products in the right market with the right price point. I mean, these are all very complicated decisions. And you want, you want the best person in the job. I sing for queen. There's no queen. <laughs> There's no queen. There's no queen. I don't get queen if I sing for queen. And I like queen. I'm glad he sang. So, it's hard. Explaining to people why they can't have the things that they want is really, really important. That's why Simon Cowell is so famous, right? So, oh, you're being so mean. It's like, no, I'm helping him. You're terrible at this. You should go do something else with your life and not waste your time on this. I'm helping this person. It's painful. Band-aid off, man. So, all right. I've tried not to be so long for the next ones. Oh, yeah. So, sorry. So, let me just finish that up. So, yeah. You, you, okay. Let's say you slow. Oh, we're going to, California is going to separate and blah, blah, blah. Well, so the smart people are going to aggregate into the Northwest at Sticks. Hex and Hammer 666 house or something like that and, and do Tom Petty sing-a-thons and so on, sing-alongs. So the smart people are going to congregate somewhere and then the low IQ societies and states are all just going to fall apart and where are the low IQ people going to go? They're going to go to the high IQ places because that's where the good stuff is. That's where survival is as they see it, right? So it doesn't solve... I don't, I don't know what the solution is other than freedom is the solution, right? But saying, well, we'll just cut off California. Like, then all the people are going to destroy California. It's going to run out of food. And there's going to be diseases. And then they're going to come swarming into the rest of the place. You're going to build walls everywhere. I don't know. Maybe, the, maybe that's what will happen. I don't know. But that's the way it works. All right. Someone says, uh, out of, oh, sorry, uh, Robert Atkinson says, out of nowhere, question, have you or should you give your child an IQ test to better help aim them at the right targets in their lives? Sure. Yeah, I see no problem with that. I see nothing wrong with that. You should have a general sense of your child's skill set and abilities, uh, but I don't think there's any harm in that. Um, Alex K. Oh, thank you for your support. I appreciate that. Matthew uh, Griffith. Has the right been too reactionary or partisan? Uh, you could argue that haven't been reactionary enough. See... Because the left controls so much in culture, you know, Hollywood and, and the media, television, um, the social media giants and academia, because they control so much. I made this analogy when I was being interviewed at Politicon this uh, last weekend. Wow, it's only a week. Oh, my God. Time. Uh, earlier this week when I had a full head of hair. But um, I made this analogy. So let's say that you got Mike Tyson in his prime, going up against a girl guide. And you say, well, is the girl guide hitting as hard as she can? It's like, kind of doesn't matter because Mike Tyson is so much more powerful. So, no, I think that the right uh, should stop. I mean, I don't agree with violence and I don't think they should use violence, but they should certainly stop apologizing and stop trying to make nice. Like anyone could have seen a million miles off that the moment Megyn Kelly apologized for an innocuous comment. She said, when I was younger, blackface was kind of common, right? She didn't say it was good or it was right. I mean, just comment about how things used to be. 150 years ago, there was slavery. It's not condoning it. It's just saying that's where things were. 
now, of course, NBC. Is it NBC? She's with. I think it is. They're not happy with her. We get sixty-nine million dollar contract to go, and she's become a bad meme of middle-aged pantsuit wearing mom dancing. And um, yeah, she's not been a good investment for them. But I have no sympathy for her because she used the the, the attack on Donald Trump in that verbal. The very first debate, the attack on Donald Trump was, "Oh, you've called women pigs, and you're you know basically uh, you're a sexist, you're a misogynist." That was sort of the vibe that was coming across. It's like, okay, well, you live by identity politics, and your career dies by identity politics. I don't have any sympathy. I don't remember her ever out there defending people who were unjustly accused of racism who are unjustly accused of being racist. She didn't do it. So then nobody's there to defend her. Or if you, you know, we either close ranks or we're going to get picked off alone. You have to build your contacts. You have to build your bridges. You have to build your friendships. You have to build your companions. If you're going to be out there in the public eye, or even if you're not, because you're going to get attacked one day. One day, it's going to be you. I don't care who you are, how insignificant you think you are. And it could be a friend. It could be a relative. It could be a girlfriend. Someone is going to go at you. And there's no privacy anymore in these kinds of attacks because social media, right? Somebody's going to go at you. They're going to call your employer. They're going to try and get you fired. They're going to go after you in some context. They're going to try and harm you or try and destroy your life or destroy your source of income or undermine your family. All the things that these people do, it's going to happen to you. So you better start defending other people. So you've got a bit of goodwill in the old social bank when someone comes after you, right? I mean, there's I like the people that I hang out with, but there's also a strategic reason why I do it, which is this is a reason why I defend people. So, and there's a reason why I don't defend people like Megyn Kelly. She wanted to get a career off identity politics. All right. She used to, brilliant. When she was doing the legal stuff at Fox, great stuff, great stuff. But, uh, I mean, she got bought out Matt Damon style, right? <laughs> so she's not been out there defending people who've been unjustly accused of racism because she's like, well... I assume she was thinking something like, well, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's bad for me. Maybe they'll leave me alone. No, they won't. No, one by one. They hope to pick everyone off, and that way there's fewer people left to defend whoever's left. So no, take the plunge, get out there, defend people who are being unjustly accused of things, build up some social capital, push back, give them the strength. You know, when you're under attack, it's real nice to have people in your corner. It's real nice to have people supporting you, particularly publicly. For, forget this private stuff, or privately I support you, but publicly I just can't. Like, no, forget it. So, all right. Uh, Alex K., thank you for your support. Love is everything. Thank you for your support. Michael Terry says, have you seen the UN is voting on a bill that would drastically increase the red tape around copyright on the internet? Would it affect YouTubers? Uh, yes, of course, that's the whole point, is to make people concerned or nervous about this. You know, I uh, I got a package in the mail. That sounds bad, actually, <laughs> given the topic. I got a little envelope in the mail, and it was from a company that's like, gifts to Britain, gifts to England. You can send wonderful things to people in England. And it's like, can I, can I slip a First and Second Amendment in there? <laughs> CC Canada. Uh, and uh, yeah, of course, the whole point is to make give people the chilling effect, right? And, of course, the mainstream media is also so bad that they don't want people even using clips under fair use, right? All right. Um, Luke Battiston says, the new IPCC1.5C climate report contains multiple globalist-style wealth equity pitches near the conclusion. Then again, not surprising. Yeah, well, the environmental thing as a whole. I mean, it's, uh, well, partly funded by the Saudis and partly funded by the globalists who have said 
specifically to some of these groups, uh, you, you can't talk about immigration. Because immigration is taking people from low carbon footprint to high carbon footprint. Massively high. Like you make, what was I reading? You make 10 times on welfare what you can make in the Middle East. Well, that's 10 times consumption of resources. So why aren't environmentalists talking about this? Well, because they want to, I think some of them certainly want to keep the money flowing, right? It's wrong, but it kind of makes sense, right? All right, let's do a couple more. And then before my stomach growling <laughs> starts to impact my show, uh, I would go and get uh, some, uh, some food. All right, so let's see here. What else? Throw in your last questions, my friends. Love is everything, says loving Steph. Some more. Love loving Stefan. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind. I very much appreciate that. Very, um, very much appreciate it. And of course, remember, you can go to freedomainradio.com slash donate if you're listening to all this later. And you can um, uh, support the show that way as well. That's also greatly uh, appreciated. Let me just see here. If I don't want to miss anything, because uh, people do say, when I miss things, hey, you miss things. So fair enough. All right. Well, listen, thanks, everyone, for dropping by so much. A real pleasure to chat with you. Look at that. I came in under an hour and a half. How lovely. So, yeah, thanks, everyone, so much. A great pleasure to chat. I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. We'll keep this going. And look at that. We had good audio and video quality for this, which in my fussy little way is it's a great pleasure. The last one was a little too um, uh, over-modulated on the sound, so that wasn't particularly good. But thanks, everyone, for dropping by. A great pleasure to chat. I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. We'll talk to you soon.